Before we get started, I want to let you guys know about a, a new ministry that started at our church. Um, it's called Redemption Meeting, and I, I was privileged to go to it this past Thursday. It's for people in active recovery who, or people that are struggling with addiction, um, and uh, it, it was just incredible. It's Thursdays at 5.30 to 7. Um, it is a faith-based, is different than AA or different than NA. We are unashamedly talking about Christ and Him being the only one that can deliver us from addictions and, uh, and everything. And so if that is you or that is anybody uh, uh, dealing, if you're dealing with active uh, addiction or recovery, or even if you put addiction in the rearview mirror 10 years ago, but you just know what it means to be to, in that struggle and the madness, we want you to come at 5.30 on Thursday downstairs in the basement. There's food. Um, and just, uh, just, a, just a great time. I was very blessed to be there uh, to, to help support that this past Thursday, and I want to invite everybody to be there if that is you. 5.30, Thursdays downstairs in the basement. Brand new ministry reaching the, I'm talking where the rubber meets the road, you guys. Addiction and, dr and, the, and drug use is the number one issue in our community, and I love the fact that we are dealing with it, and we're just jumping right in and not avoiding it. We're doing it. So uh, it's just amazing. All right, so we are starting a brand new series today uh, called Seven, about the seven deadly sins. And today we're talking about the, 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 the kingpin, uh, lust. And the main thing today is this, the Christian sexual ethic, celibacy and singleness and fidelity in marriage has never failed anyone who's adopted it. Never has. All right, so in, in an article by Josh McDowell that I read a little bit ago, citing a Barna study, it confirmed what he feared was true, that young Christians are heavily involved with pornography. Of, of young adults, he states, 18 to 24 years old, 76%, and these are Christians, actively seek out pornography every day. Uh, another astonishing statistic that it found was the skewed perception of morality that many have. He reports that while 52% of Christians, uh, adults would say that, uh, that not recycling was morally wrong, only 32% said that watching pornography was morally wrong. We have higher standards for recycling than we do for sexuality, apparently. And I found that my interaction with not only just younger Christians, but older Christians as well, this is true. Uh, also of note is a remarkable indifference that Christians have seen no problem with living together before marriage or a Christian dating couples going on weekend trips together. No problem with it at all. I, I was talking with a guy about this about a year ago. He and his girlfriend were living together, and, and, and he, but he said very openly that he and his wife were, or his girlfriend were, were devout Christians, heavily involved in church. Um, and, and I said, well, how long have you been living together? And he said, well, about three years now. And, and I said, well, just out of curiosity, you're both Christians. Uh, you, you both believe that the other is the one. Why don't you just get married? And he said, well, we can't afford to get married. And, and I said, well, um, what are you doing next week? He goes, oh, we're going on a trip to Colorado. And I, I just, just, um, I, I, just incredible how that is just so accepted now. See, what I found is that we, our lives are like the solar system. And the way the solar system is designed, there are, well, when I was in school, there were nine planets. But now apparently there are eight planets. Poor Pluto. You know, lo we love you, Pluto. We do. I still think you're a planet, okay? All right. But there, there's the sun, 
And there are nine planets, eight planets if you don't consider Pluto a planet. And they're orbiting. Now, if the sun was removed, do you know what would happen? People think, well, all the planets would fly off into the next, you just, no, that's not what would happen. The planets would begin to circle the next most powerful force, which is, in our solar system, the planet Jupiter. Absolutely, the planet Jupiter is the largest planet in our solar system, and if the sun were to be removed, we on the Earth and Venus and Mercury and all the rest would start orbiting Jupiter. Now, what is the difference between the sun and Jupiter? Well, first of all, the sun provides us with heat and light. Jupiter doesn't. There's no life when we're orbiting Jupiter. Also, the, 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 or, the uh, orbit would be very, very, very haphazard and slow because it doesn't have as much power. And why am I talking about this? Well, here's the truth. In our lives, God is the sun that we were designed to orbit around. And if we remove God, we will begin to orbit and center our lives around the next most powerful force, which is sex. And everybody knows it. Okay? Now, if that is where we are, if we remove, this, if we remove God, we don't become free. We don't become these, these uh, you know, free beings. No, we just simply go to the next most powerful force. And as we begin to orbit and center our lives around sex, we realize that there is no life and there's no joy and there's no, no warmth. There's, there's nothing. We were never designed to do that, but that's what our society is doing right now. As we have removed God, we have simply begun to orbit the next most powerful force, which is, which is sex. And the overwhelming majority of people who have walked away from God or who adamantly hate the Christian faith, if you question deeply, well, most of the time it boils down to this issue. Many times I get intellectually sounding arguments or reasons or excuses, but at the heart, many times... The people just want to sleep with whoever they want to sleep with, and that's why they have, quote, unquote, walked away from God. Don't mistake this. So we have to realize that, number one, lust is the great, biggest competitor, God's biggest competitor for your heart. It is. We have to realize that. Psalm 63, 1 through 5. This is the vision. This is what God wants for us. This is how we're supposed to live right here. Check this out. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. That is what we are originally designed to do, to find ultimate satisfaction in God and God alone. That's what we are designed to do, to long for him, to be satisfied, our souls be satisfied with him. And this is what lust is. Write this down. Lust is Satan's substandard substitute. That's what it is. We were designed to take full satisfaction, the awesomeness of God, and Satan says, no, 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 no. No, here's something so much less, but I bet I can get you to, to, to buy into it. It's kind of like taking, looking at the Mona Lisa and then Satan having a little sketch drawing saying, hey, over here. That's what it is. That's what lust is. It is Satan's substandard substitute for full satisfaction in God. And you say, well, what's wrong with going after the stick drawing? Well, nothing, nothing's wrong with the stick drawing. Some of my best friends make stick drawings. But, but the thing is, is that lust... 
starts out so harmless. But I've noticed in my life that there is a domino effect. Once you take the first step, then things just start falling and falling and falling until you are someplace where you never dreamed. The domino effect of lust first hits us personally. Um, one of my favorite stories, I've preached on it before and I'm gonna preach on it again because I need it and you do too. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. The ultimate story of temptation. Um, Genesis 25, 29 through 32, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. Is Esau a teenager? I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? Well, here in America, we don't understand birthright. Back then, this is what a birthright was. A birthright was three things. See, Esau was the firstborn. Secondborns like me got the shaft back then, as if we don't already, okay? But firstborns got everything, all right? First, the birthright was this. First of all, it was your position in the family. You were the leader of the family, you said jump, the family said how high, all right? The second thing was that you got all the old man's money. Every bit of it, every bit of it went to the firstborn, all right? Third, it connotated a blessing from God. So position in the family, all the inheritance, and blessing from God. That's what Jacob said, sell me your birthright for some stew. Now who would be stupid enough to make this deal. You would. I would. Provided it's the right bowl of stew. Happens every day. As a pastor, I see this all the time. Men and women would trade their position in the family or an online fling. They trade the respect of their children, the future impact on their children, their relationship with their children, they trade a marriage, they trade a, a, their relationship with Christ, eternity for a weekend fling, uh, trade their future security, Mo many times you get wiped out in the divorce, child support, selling the house, moving, they trade their jobs, their careers. In my experience as a pastor, there is nothing that people won't trade provided it's the right boss do. The lust says this, trade in the ultimate for the immediate. That's what lust says. I want you to trade in the ultimate for what you can have now. That's what lust does. And so Jacob says, I want your birthright for this bowl of stew. And Esau's response, check this out. Look, I'm about to die. Well, Esau, you walked in here. I'm pretty sure you're not dying. Okay, what's going on here? Well, I was a psych major in college, and when you are tempted, when an appetite of yours is stoked, whether it's sex, whether it's food, whether it's for a new car, or, or whatever the object of your desire, when an appetite of yours is stoked, this is what happens. Two things go on in your brain. We have to know this because we're humans. We have to know this because this is what's going on every one of you, every single day, every time we're tempted, okay? Your, your brain starts lying to you. The first thing that happens is a thing called impact bias. Impact bias means the object of your affection swells up. It, it, it's like it becomes greater and more satisfying and better and, and just incredible than it really is, okay? 
A guy that is being tempted, you know, uh, sees, sees a beautiful woman or whatever, and all of a sudden she's better looking and she's more kind and she's more giving and, her, and, and his mom will like her a lot more and everything, okay? Your brain starts lying to you called impact bias. See, this is the reason there's a thing called buyer's remorse. Have you ever bought something and you just had to have it and the next day you're like, what the heck was I thinking? Okay, well, that is impact bias. The object of your affection, your brain lies to you and says it's better and greater and more satisfying than it actually is. Okay, that's what happens when an appetite of yours is stoked. The second thing that happens is a thing called focalism. It's when the rest of your life and the rest of reality just gets blurred out. So the the object of your affection just swells up in the rest of your life just blurs out and you can't see it. And that's what's going on in Esau's mind right now. He can't see the birthright. He can't see 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 100 years or 200 years down the road. He can't see all that. He can't see because focalism, his brain is lying to him. And he's not thinking about his family. He's not thinking about his inheritance. He's not thinking about wealth. He's not thinking about anything else in life except for satisfying this appetite. And guys, let me tell you, every time you're tempted, that's what's going on in your mind. That is human. That is what is going on. And Satan knows that better than we do. And he uses that against us. And he gets us to trade in all of these things that are valuable and eternal for things that we just don't need. I cannot tell you how many times I sit sat there with broken people that have just indulged that appetite, whether it's an adulterous affair, whether it's a drug use, whether it's financial ruin, whatever, and they have their head in their hands and they just say, what was I thinking? This is what was going on. And then all of a sudden, when you indulge that appetite and you take the bait and you trade it all in, all of a sudden the impact bias goes away and the focalism, all of a sudden you can see your family, you can see your future, you can see your faith in Christ, you can see everything, and it just hits you. All the stuff you couldn't see because your appetite was so stoked. So many of us have traded years and decades of what is valuable, what is ultimate, for what was immediate. We're paying for it now. So I want to ask you, what bowl of stew is Satan offering you right now? Believe me, he is. He's offering you a bowl of stew. I don't care what the bowl of stew is. Whatever you want is what he's, te- what he's tempting you with. And he's trying to get you to trade in your birthright from God, your position in the family, your position in the kingdom, your inheritance from Christ, your blessing from God. He's trying to get you to, to trade all that in for something you can just have now. And we fall for it every day. You guys, when I'm tempted sexually, and I am because I'm a man, I'm, a, I'm human. Yes, pastors get tempted. We don't walk on water. There's no red phone in my office with a direct line to God, okay? When, I, when I'm tempted sexually, I use this as my, this is my weapon, you all. This is what I use. Reframe and refrain. Reframe. What I do is this. Would I want this on the screens at Catalyst Christian Church on a Sunday morning? 
Would I want this website that I'm being tempted to go to? Would I want this look? You know, have you seen those, those things on cameras where the hidden cameras where the guys are checking out the, you know, would I want that on the screen? Would I want movies that I watch on the screen at Catalyst? Would I want that? That gets rid of the impact bias and the focalism like that. Okay? And it's not a bad deal because God sees it all. And I ask myself, look at all you have to lose. Look at all you have to lose. Is this bowl of stew worth it? And that is what, that is my weapon, you guys. I want to pass that along to you. Would you want it all on, the, on display for the world to see? Reframe and then reframe. But this domino effect doesn't just hit us personally. It hits us as a society. Psalm 33, 12 says this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. See, see throughout history we've seen societies come and go. We have. We've seen the empires of Rome, Byzantine, Persia, Assyria, Babylonia, the Ottoman Empire. We've seen all of these in history. We've seen third world banana republics and, we, and we've seen military dictatorships and thriving. We've seen it all throughout history. Most civilizations aren't destroyed through invasion. Did you know that? Some are, to be sure, but most aren't. Most societies that fa uh, fell do so because they rot from within. The, by the time a conquering army arrives, there's very little left to conquer. Kind of like a, a lumberjack that arrives in a tree full of, uh, a forest full of rotten trees, and just one swing of the axe, boom, the whole tree's gone. One of the most notable features of societies that fall has been rampant sexuality. It's amazing. Imagine that. Modern America didn't invent sin. Imagine that, that, that societies have been dealing with this ever from the beginning of time. Modern America didn't invent sex, didn't invent sin. It's been here from the beginning of time. If you look at the last days of the nation of Israel, if you study the prophets, the last days of the nation of Israel, you, you, you will see temple prostitution, adultery, homosexuality, rampant. Prophets have warned Israel repeatedly about God's coming wrath, talked about these things all the time, and no one listened. Same is true of the Roman Empire. Before the Goths and the Visigoths and the Vandals raided from the north, the Rome, Rome committed cultural suicide, you guys, by uh, adopting hedonism as a natural pastime, orgies, adultery, free sex, homosexuality, hallmarks of the culture before it fell. So, but why, guys? Why is rampant sexuality the, like the last stage before a society falls? Well, it's real simple. Very simple. The family unit is the glue that holds society together. That's why we're so pro-family around here. It's God's plan. It's a glue that holds society together. When sex is commonly expressed outside of marriage, marriage rates drop. It's well documented. And marriage rates right now in America are the lowest they've ever been. Okay? It's in front page news. We all know this. We all know the breakdown of the family is a, is a major cause of every problem in society that faces. Uh, divorce and single parenthood and children growing up without fathers is highly correlated with poverty and crime, being a victim of a crime, dropping out of school, etc. We all know that. And that's not the, I'm not bashing anybody. If you're a single parent, we love you. We're so glad you're here. But you would probably be the first one to tell everyone else, listen, this is tough. That's why we support you. We love you. Right? In contrast, 
This Christian sexual ethic of celibacy and singleness and fidelity in marriage primes a society for optimism, for, for optimum uh, performance. No society has ever adopted that ethic has ever failed. All right? If a society has the over, vast majority of children growing up outside of, of married uh, homes, it's only, imagine, it's only a matter of time before it falls. Uh, just as the cell is a fundamental unit of the human body, the family is a fundamental unit of society. And guys, uh, when, when sex is reserved for marriage, marriage becomes more attractive. If men and women have the personal belief that sex should only be expressed within marriage, marriage rates increase. Sex is completely fine outside of marriage. Marriage rates decrease and instability of society continue, continues. See, there's a domino effect of this that's affecting all of us, okay? See, what I've found is that there are three things that determine how you're doing in this world. Three things that determine how well you're doing in this world. And our society's becoming a two-tiered society, all right? With some folks doing really well, and some folks having a really tough time. Three factors. First one is this, finishing high school or college, waiting until marriage to have children, and three, getting a job and keeping that job. If you do those three things, you're almost guaranteed a middle-class lifestyle, okay? If you, if, you, if, you, if you don't finish school, if you have children before marriage, and if you, if you fly from job to job, you're going to have a tough time. And, and all, all the studies show that. See, Christian sexual ethic, celibacy and singleness, and fidelity in marriage primes you for that first category. It primes you for that. And it allows people to do well. Uh, it's time, Christians and non-Christians, to admit that our problems in this country are largely the result of the defiance of Christian sexual ethic, of what the Bible says about sex. It's a time for us to, to admit that. And so, guys, I'm telling you, I hope that we can turn back before it's too late. But, but the church has stopped talking about this, and we've stopped talking about this. And we have to start talking about it. Well, how do we combat lust, and how do we uh, adopt God's vision for sex, sexuality, celibacy and singleness, and fidelity in marriage? How do we do that? Well, here's how we do. The first thing is this, is that this is how you do it. Number one, that you be where you're supposed to be. All right? Most most sexual sin happens when you're not where you're supposed to be. Your location will pretty much determine it, all right? Uh, in 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5, it's, it says this about the most famous adultery in history was David with Bathsheba. It says this, in the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. All right? And you got, if you know how the story ends, it, it, it ends with David basically murdering Uriah and marrying Bathsheba. It's, it's really ugly. It's an ugly, ugly, ugly incident. All right? Well, here's the thing. Where was David supposed to be? He said in the very first thing, he said, at the, in spring, when the kings go to war, David stayed behind. He was with his troops. Guess what wouldn't have happened? This whole incident would not have happened, okay? Be where you're supposed to be. I sat and talked with a devastated man who'd just been caught in adultery. He said, how could it have gone this far? How could it have gone this far? 
And I told him, there was a line you never intended to cross. He said, yeah. And I said, how far away did you stay? I said, man, if you see a line that you never intend to cross, don't go anywhere near it. And we walked through the stages of what happened. And he said this, the first thing was I started really getting excited to see her. I look forward to it. And second thing, he's willing to go, he was willing to go out of his way to make sure he had inter, regular interaction with her. The third thing is he rearranged his calendar to find ways to sneak more time in with her. Early morning meetings, long lunches, working late. He said this, the fourth thing he noticed was that he grew increasingly critical of his spouse. He allowed the negative talk in here to turn his heart away from his wife and towards this new fling. The fifth thing he noticed was that he was looking, reason, looking for reasons to be out of the presence of his spouse, looking for reasons to be gone. The sixth thing was that his recreational life became more and more exclusive of the spouse. He started doing more things without her, going out, uh, being in activities that didn't include her. And the seventh thing was that his desire to become intimate physically and emotionally with his spouse dwindled. Those were the signs that we found out in his life. And those are the signs you need to look out for as well. I was at the gym talking to a guy back before everybody had their headphones and, and, and people actually talked. He found out I was a pastor. He pulled me aside and said that he struggled with lust. And uh, he said, I have the desire to have sex with every woman I see. I can't help it. And I said, um, okay, how much porn are you looking at? He goes, why? And I said, because you're priming your mind. You're indulging in that. You're literally priming and training your mind for this. He said, the reason that you want to do that, the reason that you are looking, even thinking about that, means that you are so already, already corrupted in here. And I said, you, I said, you understand that you're an addict now. Like heroin to a heroin addict, this porn has become your drug. You are an addict now. You are full-blown addiction. I said, and you need professional help. That's what happens, you all. Be where you're supposed to be. Not just physically, but where you are online. You're not supposed to be at that site. Don't be there. You're not supposed to watch that movie. Don't watch it. You're not supposed to read that book. Don't read it. Be where you're supposed to be. If you see a line that you never intend to cross, stay as far away from it as, you po as possible. Second thing that I will, I will recommend how to, how, to, how, to, how to conquer lust, second, is, is, is choose your tribe wisely. Right? Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company corrupts good character. Now, I'm going to upset some people right now. I don't mean to upset people, but this truth needs to be spoken. If you are a married man or woman, you have no business hanging around a bunch of single people. I'm sorry. There's no disrespect to single people. There's no disrespect. Not that single people are bad or awful or anything like that. It's just that they're not moving in the same direction as you. They are on a different path. Married people, you have the responsibilities of marriage, most likely raising children. They don't. They're most likely actively looking for someone to date or hook up with. You aren't. I've seen so many people 
and this is particularly women that I've seen, married women who start hanging out with single people from work, all of a sudden leave their husbands. Single life looks so much more glamorous than the duties and responsibilities of married life, and they fall for it. And if you work with a bunch of single guys, if you're, if you're a guy and you work with a bunch of single guys who are out hitting the bars every night trying to hook up, you need to keep them at arm's length because it's only a matter of time before you're doing it too. Choose your tribe wisely. If you are married, you need to surround yourself with other married people that, that, that are on the same path as you, that value marriage like you do. If you're a parent, you need to surround yourself with other parents who are committed to raising godly children. That's who you need to, 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 uh, to hang around. That's who your tribe needs to be. People that are moving in your direction because when you start hanging out with people that are not moving in your direction, I've just seen it too many times. It's only a matter of time before you fall. Choose your tribe wisely. Choose who you wisely who you travel life with. And the last thing I'll tell you is this. Is find satisfaction in God alone. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I want to invite the band to come up, and I'm just going to talk real frankly with you. We've been told don't our whole lives, haven't we? I remember as a kid, teenager, I started getting interested in girls. The whole message was don't. Don't. And that was good advice. That, that, that really was. But I never knew why. It wasn't enough. Where has the word don't gotten us as a society? Where has that happened? What, what, what has that gotten us? Instead of just saying don't to people, especially our young people, we need to present a better way a better thing, something that is real, something that is better than the lust and the sex that the society throws at us 24-7. This is what it is. We are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need to turn from lust because God is far more satisfying to our souls, you all. It's like, like marriage. See, no one has to tell me don't when it comes to other women because my heart belongs fully to my wife, Rachel. She, she holds my heart. She has my heart. She has my affection. She has my love. And therefore, I don't need to be told don't everyone else. That's what it's like when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When God has your heart, you don't have to be told don't. We're so fully invested in our relationship with Christ, and we are so satisfied within God, we don't have to be worried about the other temptations that come our way. If you want to defeat lust, if you want to defeat this powerful competitor for God in your heart, then go full bore into your relationship with God and be fully satisfied with him. Be fully satisfied with God. Someone says, well, Dave, that's just not possible. What you're talking about just, just isn't possible. Celibacy and singleness, fidelity in marriage, that is just impossible. It's impractical. And that's why the church is so outdated with his teaching. Really? Well, then show me a better way, y'all. I'm all ears. Someone show me a better way than that. I'll wait. I think that our society is proof that 
celibacy and singleness and fidelity in marriage, not doing that just doesn't work. Doesn't. I'm all ears. Show me a better way. If you think this is wrong, show me something better. I'll wait. I'll be waiting a long time because this Christian sexual ethic of celibacy and singleness, fidelity in marriage has never failed any person or society that's adopted it. Just remember, sin does not lose its poison simply because it becomes, simply because it becomes fashionable. Let's, as a church, instead of just avoiding lust, let us be fully satisfied in our relationship with God. Let's go full bore after him. Let's go give everything to God and watch the desires and the temptations fade away, like we just sang. I invite you to stand, worship this awesome God who deserves our all.